Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, I'm going to give a talk from the Dhammapada today. And this talk is going to come from chapter 6, The Sage, is what it's called. The version that I'm using is Gil Fronsdahl's translation. And I'm going to read the chapter and give my commentary throughout. This is from early Buddhism. I call it Buddhism Unplugged. It's from the very beginning, almost, of the Buddhist tradition, okay? The Buddha is said to have said these things. So, when what's a sage, that's sort of like what we're trying to do, trying to be a spiritual person, trying to train in compassion, wisdom, equanimity, you know, these things that we want to train in, that is what makes a sage. So, here we go. I'll dive in. Like someone pointing to treasure is the wise person who sees your faults and points them out. Associate with such a sage. Good will come of it, not bad. If you associate with one such as this. Let one such as this advise you, instruct you, and restrain you from rude behavior. Such a person is pleasing to good people, but displeasing to bad. So what are we talking about? We're talking about having friends who maybe they don't get, let you get away with stuff. Maybe you're doing something wrong and your friend doesn't say, oh, well, your friend says, hey, man, what's up? What are you doing that for? Right. That's the sort of friend that the Buddha is encouraging us to have. The kind of friend who reminds you to be your best self. Reminds you. Not the kind of friend that brings you down. Not the kind of friend that just turns a blind eye. Rather, we should, we should want someone that helps us stay on track. That's what the Buddha is talking about here. And having that kind of person, a kind of person who is willing to call you out on your stuff and is willing to tell you what you need to hear, well, that can really help us. That's like a serious friend, like a real friend. That's what the Buddha is talking about here. A real friend, someone who is able to talk to you about the hard stuff, right? Do not associate with evil friends. Do not associate with the lowest of people. Associate with virtuous friends. Associate with the best people. So, what's he telling us? He's telling us maybe we should try to hang out with people who have sort of the same values as us. Sort of the same values. I A long time ago, I had a friend who was kind of mean and like would make fun of people all the time. That was like the way he lived his life. And that was a bad influence on me. That was a bad influence on me. I started to sort of be that way because the truth is that what we're surrounded by all the time is normal to us, right? So if someone is just making fun of people all the time, maybe don't associate with that kind of person, right? If someone is, and if someone is committing crimes like burglary or assault or something, Maybe don't associate with them either. We shouldn't turn a blind... I think... I think people turning a blind eye to their friends' awful behavior has been a real problem for human history, for all of it. And that's what the Buddha's addressing here. That's what the Buddha's addressing here, right? 
And, you know, we hear once in a while about someone who's been committing crimes for years and years. And, like, a lot of people knew they were doing it. And they just, they just let it happen. They just turned a blind eye, right? Um, and you can think of some celebrity who recently has gotten in trouble. Um, I don't think my podcast is big enough to get sued, but I'm just going to not name names here. But you can think of a celebrity who's gotten into trouble for maybe having lots of sexual assault victims, right? And, like, sure, some people helped cover it up because they wanted money, but... Some people covered it up because they wanted a friend. And that's, uh, both of those things are bad, right? And But this isn't addressing taking money to cover things up, but it is addressing hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. Hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. And we want to associate with people who have the same kinds of goals we do. That's why, I think that's why, Buddhist communities exist. I think that's why religious communities in general exist, actually, is that we lift each other up. Just by interacting with each other, we lift each other up. So go to the places where there are people who think who have the same kind of virtuous and wise outlook that you're looking to instill in yourself. That's that's really the message here. So one who drinks in the Dharma sleeps happily with a clear mind. The sage that delights, always delights in the Dharma taught by the noble ones. So, I'm going to go on. Irrigators guide water, fletchers shape arrows, carpenters fashion wood, sages tame themselves. Themselves, I'm sorry. Sorry, I stumbled on that one. Sages tame themselves. So, we are talking about training our minds. We're talking about if we have this meditation practice, if we train in wisdom, compassion, and equanimity, then we can sleep with a clear mind. Then we can delight in the Dharma. This is, he's talking about what this path can do for us, right? And I know for my own story, um, I used to have a lot of trouble sleeping at night. I used to be the kind of person that has trouble sleeping at night. And once I started doing my meditation practice, um, that sort of faded away for me. I learned how to direct my mind where I want to, which is not whatever nonsense I'm worrying about that's keeping me awake at night, right? So uh, I've seen that direct benefit in my mind. It's just I sleep better. I can go to sleep pretty easily. And so what we're doing on this path is trying to train ourselves, trying to and tame. He's using the word tame here, and I do like that because we are out of control sometimes, and we are like a wild beast sometimes and we even feel like we're not in control of ourselves we are though but we feel like we're not so that's why we're trying to tame ourselves we're trying to calm down and see the world clearly and move through it in a more mindful way where we're choosing how we respond to things instead of lashing out and reacting all the time as a solid mass of rock is not moved by the wind so a sage is not moved by praise or blame. As a deep lake is clear and undisturbed, so a sage becomes clear upon hearing the Dharma. So, um, this practice is going to clear our minds. We're going to put down some of our baggage. We're going to see through some of our delusion. And that's a good thing. And hopefully we're going to 
learn to not be moved by praise or blame. What does that mean? Well, it means if someone says something good about you, we will generally take that in more strongly than we should. And when someone says something bad about you, same thing. You'll generally take that in more than more than you probably should. And your results may vary. Some people like are not moved by praise at all and they just think they're the worst and they're just torn up completely by blame, right? And other people think they can do no wrong. So praise is like is like uh, uh, telling, them, telling them what they know already. And then so blaming them for something. Oh, no, that can't be. It can't be. This can't be wrong because that would be my fault. And that doesn't sound right. Okay, that doesn't sound right. So being moved by praise or blame or just we get obsessed with those things. We get obsessed with them. Um, and I'm reminded of, gosh, and I say this quote all the time because I love it so much. Former President Harry Truman, he said, he said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. And I think about that a lot. It's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Because if we care who gets the credit, if we're worried about making sure we get the credit for what we're doing, that gets in our way, right? That gets in our way. When I first uh, became a, in my job, I'm a union steward. And when I first became a union steward, one of my trainers told me, he said, if you think you're going to get the kudos or the respect you deserve or the praise for doing a great job here, you need to forget about that. You need to forget about that. And that's true. And that's true of uh, many, many jobs in this world where people are helping others. Many, many jobs in this world. Um, if you're in it for the wrong reasons, you're probably going to get out of it because the big credit, the esteem, that's not going to come. That's not going to come. But what is going to come, hopefully, is making a difference. Making a difference. And that's not measured in praise. That's not measured in people telling you you're doing a great job. It's not. It's not measured really at all. And so that's where we are. Virtuous people always let go. They don't prattle about pleasures and desires. Touched by happiness and then by suffering. The sage shows no sign of being elated or depressed. So, what's that? Don't prattle about pleasures and desires? Okay. So here's the thing. No sign of being elated or depressed. That makes it sound like we're going to be robots, right? And the point is, we can feel a feeling and not be obsessed with it. We can feel a feeling and not be obsessed with it. I heard somebody say once, you don't have, you're not you're not depressed, you're having an experience of depression or something like that. And I've read a book before. Um, I think Jack Cornfield said, you're not angry, you're experiencing the emotion of anger. And you see, you see how subtle that difference is? But what, did it, what is that? That is, we're, if we identify completely with the thing, then we're giving it more power. If I say I'm having an experience of anger to myself, that is different than saying I'm angry. Saying I'm angry is saying that's who I am, 
right? And words are powerful. We think that's kind of silly sounding, but I think the way we our self-talk is affects us, affects us and can change us for the better. So it's not that we shouldn't feel feelings. It's not that you shouldn't be sad. It's that you shouldn't and shouldn't. Shouldn't is a tough word to use here, actually. It's not that we're not going to avoid our sadness. We're going to be sad sometimes. But rather, we want to have a healthier relationship to our to all our feelings, really, but to our sadness so it doesn't make us lay on the floor and cry and fail to do what we're trying to do, right? And your results may vary. Uh, we all have different emotions we struggle with, and some people struggle with all their emotions, and some people struggle with just one or two, Right? In, I'm talking in terms of big struggles. I think we all struggle with all feelings sometimes. But big struggles, you know, some someone out there has a really big anger problem and they really want to stop having a big anger problem and they're trying, right? And someone has a very big depression problem and is just miserable and really doesn't want to have this depression problem. But they, you know what I'm saying. So, and sometimes these can be tied together. And... So that's something to think about. And it does go both ways because sometimes we make bad decisions when we're really happy, right? The biggest bad decisions we make in life are when we're really happy or really sad or really, you know, feeling an extreme emotion, really angry, obviously, is one too. When we're feeling an extreme emotion, that's when we're the most likely to make a bad decision. Make a bad decision. You know, people, when they're happy about something, they go buy a car they can't afford. Or when they're happy about something, they go get in a relationship they shouldn't get in. Where they should know better, right? Because our big feelings sometimes lead us to places we wouldn't want to go. A person who would not wish for success by unethical means, not for the sake of oneself, not for the sake of others... Not with hopes for children, wealth, or kingdom is a person person of virtue, insight, and truth. So, we don't want to do bad things. I mean, that's that's pretty common sense, right? We don't want to succeed because of doing bad things. We don't want to do that. That's not going to lead us where we want to go. That is not going to help us live more awakened lives. It's going to get in our way, really. If we're getting success by unethical means, it's going to, it's going to create a lot of problems for us, ultimately. Um, gosh, I really like that show Breaking Bad with uh, Brian Cranston. Do you know it? Um, this guy, he's a teacher, and he gets a terminal illness, and he needs a lot of money to get that treatment. And he comes by success by unethical means. He becomes a drug manufacturer. And I think about that when I read this, because in that show and in probably many other shows like it, uh, doing this creates endless problems for him. It does. And it turns out, I think we could say, we could make the case that turns out not worth it, even though he's trying to save his own life, but he becomes sort of obsessed with what he's doing. And... So I think about that sometimes because unethical means, that's an example of unethical means can get in our way. It can get in our way. And that's not just crimes though. Like I don't want to rob a bank and then have money. I don't want to do that. But it's also like there's other unethical means to make money. A person could be a con artist. 
a person could trick other people into giving them money, right? That that sort of thing's unethical too. Uh, in the Buddha's time, uh, he he listed some jobs that are unethical that people have, and one of those was like slave trader, which is not really a well, it's it's a job somewhere actually, but um. In in his time, that was a job that was common. That was a job that was everywhere, and that's you know that's making success by unethical means. The Buddha, the Buddha was ahead of his time, and he made that very clear to everyone that that was unethical. But also, uh, he said things like making poisons, things like that are are unethical too. And I I don't know. That's a bigger question than to talk about here because like we could we could think about all sorts of careers in the modern world, right? Lawyers are some lawyers unethical. Um, and then the question is, does that make it an unethical profession, right? Or like, like people that make bombs, right? We could, we could really stretch this and, and think about a lot of different things if we, if we choose to. And that's just what I wanted to say. So going on, uh, but a person of virtue, insight, and truth is what we want to be. And that's what we are if we don't wish for success by unethical means. Okay. So, few are the people who reach the other shore. Many are the people who run about on this shore. But those who are in accord with the Dharma, with the well-taught Dharma, will go beyond the realm of death so hard to cross. Wow, right? So, the other shore is spiritual enlightenment. It's where we can learn to live in a better way. And this shore is where we are now, where we're struggling with so much suffering, discomfort, misery, really, sometimes. That's where we are now. And the other shore is where we can live in a more meaningful way and go beyond the realm of death, though. That's, what does that mean? Does that mean we won't die? I don't think so. I think it means, though, we're going to stop being obsessed with death. We're going to stop being afraid of death and just realize it's a thing that happens. So being, going beyond it is overcoming its power over us. It's power. And, you know, some people are really afraid of death and some people just never think about it. And some people really think it's not scary. And that's fine. But a whole lot of us are, are afraid of it. And especially more afraid of it the older we get, right? And going beyond it is overcoming that worry and just living our lives giving up dark ways sages cultivate the bright they go from home to homelessness to the solitude so hard to enjoy there they should seek delight abandoning sensual desires having nothing sages should cleanse themselves of what defiles the mind so here he's talking about becoming a monk which i'm not doing and i don't think you listening to this are doing either but He's saying that that is an option. Go from going from home to homelessness is going from being a normal person to a monk, and in that way, we give up all our material things, and then maybe the path is a little bit easier. Maybe the path's a little bit easier. I compare it to not unlike uh, taking your phone with you into the classroom, because having the phone with you is a temptation, right? When the class is boring, right? Or meeting at work or whatever, 
or date. Ooh, I hope you don't take your phone on a date and look at it during the date, but you might. And that taking it with you is a temptation. So in the same way, um, why did people become monks in the Buddhist tradition? Well, they didn't want to be tempted by all their wishes and desires. So they got away from those things. They stopped trying to accumulate wealth. They decided not to have families. They went underwent a very moderate uh, dietary process and did all those things and lived together with other monks. So they gave up the comfort of your own space. And because they gave up all those things, the sto- what's told is then in some cases it's easier to train the mind because you're not surrounded by things to distract you all the time. Now, that being said, I'm not a monk and I'm not going to become a monk. Uh, living in the world is important to me. And monks are kind of separate from the world. And, but also there's things I'm not prepared to give up. And so that, that is where we are. But the Buddha, the people that were around him in his life were mostly monks and nuns. Monks and nuns. And this applies to nuns as well. And I'm sorry for constantly just talking about monks. But it applies to women as well. Women would become nuns. And... An interesting story is at first, the Buddha was not going to let women be nuns at all. There were going to be monks and then lay followers and women could not, could not give up their desires, could not do the same things men could do. And the Buddha's assistant Ananda convinced him to ordain nuns, convinced him to allow women into the Buddhist order. Um, Ananda convinced him just by saying, hey, are women less capable of enlightenment than men? And the Buddha said no. And then Ananda said, oh, well, then surely they should be allowed in the Buddhist order. And he was convinced. So that is a reminder that the Buddha was a person, right? Because someone could convince him to change what he was doing. And also what he was doing, while it was uh, culturally really normal at the time, I want the Buddha to be ahead of his time, right? Like he was on slavery. And Ananda convinced him. And once Ananda pointed it out, it was it's one of those things. Once it was pointed out, oh, well, women are equally capable to men, so they should be given the same respect, right? Once it was pointed out, the Buddha couldn't, couldn't deny it. He couldn't deny it, and once it was pointed out, he didn't want to also. So, those who fully cultivate the factors of awakening give up grasping, enjoy non-clinging, and have destroyed the toxins, are luminous and completely liberated in this life. So, the factors of awakening. Um, if you've studied Buddhism at all, you know lists, lists, numbered lists are a big thing in Buddhism. The Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the Four Immeasurables, the Six Perfections, right? And please don't get intimidated if you've never studied Buddhism before by that. But there's things in the lists um, cause lists are easier to memorize than just teachings, I think. But this is a, says the factors of awakening. Those who fully cultivate the factors of awakening give up grasping. And that's just where we're obsessed with our desires. Enjoy non-clinging. And that's when we are not obsessed with our desires. We can sort of hold on loosely and have destroyed the toxins. So the toxins are those, uh, emotional feelings that get in our way. Hatred delusion, greed, 
those are to- those are sometimes called the three poisons. Toxins, you know, makes me think the same way. Are luminous, okay? That just means awake, enlightened, and completely liberated in this life. So I want to tell you what the factors of awakening are. The factors of awakening are mindfulness, investigation, effort, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. I'll go through those again, but faster. Mindfulness, investigation, effort, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So the Buddha thought these were things we should cultivate and that cultivating these is a spiritual practice. Okay? So we want to train in all these things. And so that is what the Buddha was talking about and that is what we want to try to do is cultivate those factors of awakening. That is a teaching. That is a practice method. Okay? So... That is it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and have a good day. Thank you for listening and have a good day.